round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Kurt um, wanted me to start this morning by um, just explaining a little bit of how I even got up here today. I wasn't planning on preaching this morning. Um, do you know I'm not used to being up here speaking? I'm usually up here leading worship. Um, and so originally this is a message that I had prepared um, back in May and June to um, speak somewhere else. Um, Troy Smith, who most of you know is a worship pastor at Centerpoint in Marietta, asked me to come down and speak at their school of worship um, this summer. And so what that is, we had three um, of our own actually go down this summer. They're in here somewhere. Regina, Hayden, and Jaden um, got to go down. And so every summer, um, high school and college age worship leaders, songwriters, and musicians come together. Um, and it's a week of just um, speakers and workshops, and they learn spiritual and practical um, principles on worship leading. It's really, really fun. So that's what I was planning on, not pre preaching today, but I was working on that. Um, and so my topic was leadership. As I was preparing for that, um, I was meeting with Justine, who is my go-to prep person for you know, all the two times that I've spoken. Um, and um, as I'm meeting with her, I'm wrestling with this um, concept of leadership. And I just felt like there was something more, and there was something um, more. And we weren't like, I want to know, Lord, what is that thing that you have for us? And um, somehow, after that meeting with Justine, Kurt found out that I was speaking on this. Don't know how. And um, Kurt approached me and was like, hey, would you share a little bit? So I shared a little bit of what I had been researching. And um, Kurt really wanted me to share this with you this morning to begin with. Um, because when he heard, he lit up. And he was so excited because even though this was something I'd been preparing um, for a worship environment, he really believes, and I really believe that this is for us today as well. This is for Lake Sam. Um, because I was preparing to talk to worship leaders, but here's the deal. Um, that's us, too. Um, don't disqualify yourself when I say that. Because you are the leader of your worship to the Lord. Um, your ministry to him every day, you are that worship leader, too. So this is for us as well. So this is a role that we get to play. Um, the second reason Kurt was really excited is um, because it was coming off of um, Justine preaching a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, um, it's on our website. I would highly recommend you go watch it. Um, she was pe preaching um, as part of our Empowered series out of Luke 8. And I love what she said about empower, this idea of being empowered by the Holy Spirit and what that means. Because she said empowerment is not about the task. It's not about doing. It's not about checking things off our list. But being empowered is a means of deeper relationship with the Lord. It's not about the task. And then she drew this parallel with um, her son's favorite TV show, Thomas the Tank Engine, that I really loved. Um, because Thomas, all he wants is to be a really useful engine. Um, and there's that phrase over and over, he wants to be a really useful engine. And that, I was like, yes. Sometimes I feel like I want to be just a really useful engine. But is that really what the Lord is required of us? Is it about the task? Is it about the doing? No. Um, but a lot of times I feel like I want to do something for the Lord. I want to um, be empowered, and sometimes I feel like that would look like 
um, miracles. I want to go um, see healings. I want to be evangelistic. I want to do this for the Lord. Um, but if that becomes our end goal of being a really useful engine, if that becomes what um, I'm striving towards, and if that's it, then that produces burnout and that produces frustration every time. That can't be the end goal. Most of you know that um, I graduated from a private Christian school in Dallas, Texas called Christ for the Nations Institute. Um, I did a one-year program there, their worship and technical arts major. And there are so many things that I really loved about the school and about the community, but one of my favorite things there um, was on campus, there was a house of prayer or a prayer room. Um, I have a picture of that. Um, my roommate actually took this picture. And it's just, it's kind of this long room. Somebody told me it looked like an airport, but actually it's, um, it's this long room. And you can see there's chairs and there's some couches in the back. And then there's a little um, stage area set up in the front. And what this is, if you, um, what, like, what is a house of prayer? Um, it's just a place that was available to the students and to faculty. Um, it was open almost all day, every day. Um, just obviously to come pray, um, to read, to study, um, and just to wait before the Lord. Most of the time they'd have a CD playing, worship music, um, and I loved my times like going there. Um, but what I loved even more is sometimes they would have um, worship sets, and they'd have teams come in and lead worship. And these sets were at minimum two hours long. And so I had the opportunity um, to um, lead in the house of prayer as well. And so two hours, you guys, is a long time. And um, I learned so much about um, flowing and, like, listening to the Holy Spirit and just discerning where he was going. Um, because my first semester, I got to lead a team with Stephen Morse, who used to be a worship um, leader here. And we'd bring a team in, and most of the time, we'd have an idea of, um, like, a theme or a scripture of what the Lord wanted to do. And... Um, but sometimes we'd come in and we'd like start sitting up and look around and be like, um, how about D? Should we play in D? Okay, we're going to play in D. And that was it. And we just play in D for two hours. <laughs> and it was so much fun. And um, these were some times of like growth because that was all I could do was just listen and obey. Um, I was learning how to listen and sing out, listen, hear what he was doing, and speak. And so new songs came out of this. Um, there's this really, really precious time um, in this house of prayer. But one day, I was um, in the house of prayer, and I was leading with um, one of my close friends. And we'd led together before. He was playing guitar. I was playing um, piano. And this day was so different. Um, and I just remember being in there and feeling like something was off and it wasn't right and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, Lord, what are you trying to say? What are you doing in this moment? Because I am doing everything I know how to do. I am practicing um, like sermon I'm trying to hear. And I'm like, okay, let's go this way. And then that wasn't right. And then I was like, okay, I'll go this way. Um, that wasn't right. And honestly... I began to get really, really angry um, because I didn't know what was going on. Now, in the worship major, we were learning um, all this really 
um, heavy stuff. We're learning about worship theology. We're learning about the Mosaic Tabernacle, fivefold ministry. We're studying Revelation. There's all this stuff that I'm learning, and it's really cool, but instead of taking it all in, um, I began to carry it as a weight on my shoulders, this weight of um, responsibility. Oh my gosh, what it means to be a leader. Like, I just began to feel that as a weight. And so as I'm sitting here, feeling like I'm trying to do everything I knew how to do, the more I tried, the more frustrating it became. Have you ever had a moment like this? where you're doing everything you know how to do. Maybe um, you've been trained in it. Maybe um, you feel like it's your gifting. And you're doing what you know how to do, and you just don't, uh, you feel like nothing's happening. I remember sitting there saying, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Would you tell me? What are you doing in this moment? And now looking back, um, I was in conflict in that moment. Because all I wanted to do was lead. I wanted to be a leader. And it wasn't enough. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Um, we're going to have Josh Morris pray for us. Do you pray for, um, what is it? Pray for the sermon and lift up another church. <laughs> Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to hear your word and hear what you're doing uh, in Kara's heart, but also uh, what you what you want to be doing in our hearts, Father. I just ask that you let our hearts, our minds, our spirits be open to to your leading, to your direction. Um, Father, I lift up Eastside Foursquare. Uh, just be with them. Do they speak? Um, speak, and uh, let your will be done there. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, um, we're going to be talking about two things this morning. We're going to be talking about um, leadership, and we're going to be talking about the priesthood. And so, real quick, I just want to start by, um, let's just define those before we start talking about that. Okay, so, um, as I'm doing all this research, um, I found this really cool, just practical definition of leadership. Um, and a leader is one who makes decisions, delegates, and communicates. Let's say that all together. So the leader is one who makes decisions, delegates, communicates. That makes sense, right? If you have ever been under really good leadership, then um, maybe they were a good communicator. They could make decisions, and they were able to communicate and delegate to others really well. Um, if you've ever been under really bad leadership, then you probably um, <laughs> realized that they were a micromanager, or like they couldn't delegate weren't good at communicating, right? So this kind of makes sense. Um, this is going to be our just practical definition we're going to go back to a couple times. Um, makes decisions, delegates, communicates. Now, um, we don't quite have as much of a reference point for that, right, of what the priesthood looks like. And so um, in the Old Testament, out of the 12 tribes, only one the Levites were chosen to be part of the priesthood. It was this very, very um, special thing, a sacred responsibility. Um, the priests had special duties. They would offer sacrifices um, morning and evening. The Bible says morning and evening they would offer sacrifices um, for the sins of the people. They were representing the nation before the Lord. And where they ministered was in the tabernacle, um, which had three, um, there are three parts to this. 
the outer courts and the inner courts of the holy place and then the most holy place of the holy of holies and this is all separated by curtains and this is where um the the priests were um this was their um, special place this was part of their sacred responsibility um and only once a year did the high priest, only one person, only the high priest, once a year, could go into the most holy place. So it's this really special thing we see. It's set apart. Um, the priests wore special robes. They had special um, food that they could eat. And um, they had special jobs. And in Deuteronomy 10.8, um, it says, At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and to stand before the Lord as his ministers, and to pronounce blessings in his name. So real quickly, we can see three things out of that. The mandate for the priesthood. The Lord set them apart to do these three things. To carry the presence, to minister to the Lord, and to bless the people. So real quickly, we can see this is um, carrying the presence, ministering the Lord, blessing the people. The first two are vertical. Carry the presence minister to the Lord, and then horizontal, and then bless the people. And this is the order, this is the mandate from the Lord to the Levitical priesthood. Okay. Now, I don't believe that this was God's original plan for the priesthood. Not this, but that it would be the sum and not the all, that it's the one and not the twelve. Um, and I'll show you in a minute why that is. Um, but the first time that God brings up this concept of the priesthood and shares this is with a man named Moses. You guys have probably all heard of Moses or seen Prince of Egypt. Um, you know he's the guy. Moses is the guy who's known for what? Leading um, <laughs> the people, the Israelites, out of captivity when they're in Egypt. He's the guy that led them out, right? The Lord called him. Um, on the side of a mountain in a burning bush. There are miracles surrounding this story. Um, the ten plagues, the exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, and then wilderness. Moses is in leadership over um, this rapidly growing nation, over thousands and thousands of people. Um, and he's the guy. He is carrying the weight of responsibility over all these people. And um, if you can imagine, there's all kinds of problems because they're in the desert. They're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it's this one guy um, over them. And so um, in Exodus 18, it says that Moses, this one guy, would um, stand before the people. He'd go before the people. And from morning till evening, they would come up and line up in front of him. Morning till evening. And he would settle their disputes. This one guy over thousands and thousands of people. And so Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes for a visit. And he goes, Moses, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you accomplishing here? Um, you're going, this is going to produce burnout. What are you doing? Um, this is too much for just one man. And so um, Exodus 18, verse 17 says, This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. 
show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Okay, so great example of leadership there. Do you remember our three principles? A leader is one who makes decisions, delegates, communicates. Um, what's an example of him making a decision? Even to listen to his father-in-law, right? That was a really good decision. Um, so he made the decision just to do it, like listen to his advice and take his advice. Um, he delegated um, really clearly. He delegated over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. Um, he set up the system, um, and then he communicated. It says that he um, taught all the people um, how to live by the Lord's principles, and then he showed them what that looked like. So a really good example of leadership, of using that practical definition. He made decisions, he communicated, he delegated, right? Okay, so um, right after this, actually in the next chapter, it says it's been exactly two months um, after the Israelites have left Egypt. Exactly two months, and they make it back to Mount Sinai. This is the same mountain where um, the Lord called Moses in the burning bush. So they make it back there. They make camp at the base of the mountain. And then um, it says, then Moses climbed the mountain. Oops. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So who is this to? The descendants of Israel, the family of Jacob. This is not some. I don't see Levites in there. This is not one. This is all, right? So how did we get from this place of all, the holy, holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to just the one? How did we go from the all to the some? Right after this, um, in the next 13 chapters or so in Exodus, um, Moses continues to go up um, Mount Sinai and talk to the Lord. The Israelites are still camped out at the base of the mountain. He goes up and, up and down a few more times. And then the last time, he takes his assistant Joshua. He goes up the mountain. Um, and he goes further than he's ever gone before. And he stays longer than he's ever stayed before. He's up there for 40 days. And the Bible says the Lord um, descended on the peak of the mountain in a cloud, and then Moses um, stepped into the cloud and talked to the Lord. Isn't that cool? So he's up there for 40 days in this cloud with the Lord, in the cloud with the Lord. <laughs> and um, meanwhile, Israelites are at the base of the mountain. Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, is left in charge. 
And so Exodus 32, we see what happens at the base of the mountain. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So again, fantastic leadership, right? He's like making decisions. He's delegating. He's communicating. If this is our definition of leadership, Aaron's doing a really good job, right? He made this decision. Okay, people, what do you want? Okay, I'm going to decide that I'm going to please you first. Then he delegates. He says, okay, um, what we're going to do is I need all of you to get your gold rings, bring them to me. I'm going to make something. Um, And then he communicates, and he says, tomorrow will be a festival unto the Lord. Great leadership, right? But it's ungodly leadership, right? He has it so backwards. This is twisted leadership. So that can't be it. In fact, right after this, Moses, remember, Moses is up in the cloud with the Lord. And the Lord says, quick, Moses, go down the mountain. Your people are corrupting themselves. Go back down the mountain. Moses has um, the Ten Commandments in his arms at this point. He grabs Joshua, and it says he runs down the mountain, burning with anger. When he reaches the bottom, he sees what's going on. He sees this pagan revelry. He sees this idolatry. And he smashes the tablets on the ground. He grinds the um, golden calf into a powder, puts it in the water, and forces the people to drink it. This is crazy. And then, this is the consequences of their sin, right? So this is what we see. Um, Then, Verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you, take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. So this is crazy, right? This is the consequence of their sin. Um, And we see this separation. Do you see that? The Levites came. This is how we get from the all to the sum. The Levites obeyed, and Moses said, Today you have ordained yourselves for the ministry of the Lord. Today you have earned a special blessing. So we see um, the all to the sum. But 
we don't have the sum today, right? Do we have the Levites anymore? Do we have just the one tribe? How does this apply today? How did we, how did we get here? Now, this is where it gets really exciting because Jesus changed everything. I'm going to need a drink of water real quick. <laughs> but Jesus changed everything. It's no longer the sum, and here's why. When Jesus came, the Bible says that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So when he came, he didn't come to do away with the priesthood. Um, he didn't, like, toss that out the window. He came and he redeemed it to the fullness. This is good news for you and me, right? Um, when he came, um, when he died for us, he became a sacrifice that was good once for all. We Remember the um, priest would sacrifice morning and evening and morning and evening and morning and evening, and then once a year the high priest would go, into the most holy place. But when Jesus came, he was sinless. He was blameless. He was the perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus became our high priest, able to go into the most holy place. And more than that, he made a way for us, because of his death and resurrection, he made a way now for us to have relationship with the Father as well. Hebrews 7 26 and 27 says, He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners as, and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So it means more now. When I read that, all of a sudden it meant more, because it wasn't just the sum and now the all. But do you see this picture? It's come full circle. Jesus redeemed the original mandate for the priesthood, the all, that we would be a holy nation, right? A royal priesthood. And he redeemed that to the fullness, even more than we can even ask or imagine. Because it's not just the Levites, it's not just the Jews, but us Gentiles as well. It's not the sum, it's the all. He's brought us to the fullness. And so not only is he our great high priest, but now we are adopted in as sons and daughters. Now we have a place in this. Because of his death and resurrection, we are able to go into the most holy place. Now we have access to the Father. We are adopted in as sons and daughters with inheritance. And so now we are welcomed in as part of the priesthood as well. This is now for us as well. So 1 Peter 2.5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. 
Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. In verse 9, for you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into the full light. Doesn't that feel good, you guys? Doesn't that take some of the pressure off? Because it's not about the task. It's not about what I'm doing. It's being who he called me to be, right? Now we know that we are part of the priesthood. It's about being. Because he didn't come for me to do things well. Jesus didn't come and die for me to lead worship really well. He didn't come for me to um, be a good leader or um, make decisions. He didn't die for me to communicate or delegate. He came for me. He came for you. When I was um, preparing to go down to California for the school worship, um, it was the night before I was scheduled to fly out, and I was just struggling to put the pieces together. Um, I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, and I kept saying, Lord, what do you want us to know about leadership? What do you have to say about leadership? What is it? What's that one thing? What do you want us to know as leaders? What do you want to know about leadership, leadership, leadership? And I'm like asking the Lord, and I'm like, honestly, I'm at that place of frustration again because I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say? And I'm like leaving on a flight in 10 hours, so what are you trying to say? Um, And in that moment, I heard the Lord say, Kara, I don't want your leadership. I want you. And so this morning, I feel like that's what the Lord wants to tell you. I don't want your leadership. I don't want your works. I don't want you doing. I don't want you to be a really useful engine. I want you. He came for us. So as we look at this mandate for the priesthood one more time, this carrying the presence, ministering the Lord and blessing the people, remember the first two are vertical, and then we see the third is horizontal. So as you look at this one more time, let's figure out how do we apply this. If we really are the priesthood now, if Jesus has redeemed us as the priesthood, and this mandate is for us, how do we live that out? What does that actually look like? So first, carrying the presence. Well, what does that even mean? Um, like we said, it's not about the task. So um, carry the presence does not equal um, you should pray more. You should read your Bible more. You need to come to church more. Like, do, do, do. It's not that. It's not the doing, carrying the presence. You're already carrying the presence. It's already who you are. The same resurrection power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and me. So as we carry the presence, this is not something that um, is, should be stressful or that we're striving towards. It's who you are, carrying the presence. And this is first. We see this in order. When Aaron um, had his great moment of leadership, remember? Um, (laughs) He had it almost completely backwards. Instead of starting with carrying the presence, um, his first thing was to bless the people, right? He said, I'm going to please the people first. Um, And so he made that decision. And then he ministered to the Lord. He said, oh, this is um, because the Lord brought us out of Egypt, and so I'm going to set up an altar in front of this calf um, for him. And then, 
carry the presents, he offered sacrifices on it. And so he had it so backward in his mind. He had it so out of order and twisted. And he thought he was doing it for the Lord. And so this morning, I want us to get that this is, um, that there's an order that the Lord has laid out for us. That there's something that um, is deeper. That there's something bigger than just doing these things for the Lord. But it's really who he's already called us to be. And so carrying the presence. When we minister to the Lord, what does that look like? It's our worship to him. And I didn't say songs like that song. Hear me out. I'm, it's not music. Our worship doesn't mean um, that there's like a band up here. That's not worship. But it's your ministry to the Lord. It's putting him first above everything else. Um, it's exalting him. It's adoring him. It's finding his heart and seeking to please him. That's our ministry to the Lord. And then, once we have that vertical carry the presence, ministering to the Lord, then, when we get to this third one, to bless the people, this horizontal, because we have that place um, of right standing with the Lord, because we're carrying the presence, we have this vertical. When we get there, then we're able to make godly decisions then we're able to delegate really well. Then we're able to communicate God's heart without burnout, without that frustration, because it comes from a place of identity in Christ. Because it comes from a place of knowing that we're carrying the presence, right? So it's not about the tasks. I was talking to Kurt um, before this morning, talking about what we were going to talk about in... Um, this thing of being empowered, this idea that we've been wrestling with for a, a long time. We've been in this series for a long time, right? Um, and really, what does that mean? What does it mean to be empowered? And it's not about the doing. It's not about doing really great things for God. It's not about um, all of these tasks. And not that those things are bad, but what if empowered... What if that was an overflow? What if this was something that was overflowing? Because if we're focusing on this one thing to carry the presence, if we're focusing on the Lord, if we're being so close to him, what if ministering to him just came naturally? What if it just came out of that place? What if after that, it just was this overflow, I'm focusing on the Lord and being with him, that I'm blessing other people? What if it's just coming from this place of overflow? What if that's really what empowered is about? It's not the doing, it's this overflow. It's natural, it's in order. Do you see that? And so it no longer matters what anyone else thinks. It no longer matters because it's coming from this place where my eyes are only fixed on him where he is all that I see, and it's just natural. This is overflow of being empowered. Because when Jesus came, he gave us access. So I want to go back to this story. Um, when I was sitting in this room at CFNI, lost, really confused, really frustrated, um, asking the Lord, what are you doing? Um, in the midst of that, um, one of my friends came up to me, and he placed a key um, 
like a house key, I think, um, on the piano in front of me. And then he began praying over me and prophesying over me, and he reminded me that it is who I am. It's not what I do that pleases the Lord. He reminded me of um, access to the Father because of Christ. And that key, you guys, represented access. That's what it represented, right? Standing with the Father because of Christ. Because I had wanted to do something for God. I'd wanted to prove something. I'd wanted to lead something. But I was created to be. To be a priest. To be a worshiper. A daughter. I was created to be a carrier of his holy presence. And so now, um, we're going to have a time to respond, you guys. And, um... I hope this has been helpful this morning. I hope that this has brought um, new perspective, maybe, um, or just been a really good reminder of um, what it meant, what it means for us today um, to be carriers of his presence, what it means, what Christ's sacrifice actually means for us. Because we're going to take communion this morning. So if you guys can reach down in front of you, there's the two cups and a seat in front of you. But before we do that, thank you. I just want us to take a moment as Kevin continues to play. We're just going to take a moment to respond. Because if there's something new that the Lord has shown you this morning, we want to take communion in that new light. Um, We want to just take a moment and ask him to speak to you. If there's something he's saying to you, just allow the Lord to speak to you. And we take communion out of remembrance, out of reflection. There's prayer available in the back. Um, Let's just take a moment and just um, respond. And when you're ready, go ahead and take communion.
Stain, he washed it white. 